You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural context, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, um, worked, and ministered in contexts that are small and out-of-the-way places. We know and we believe on this podcast that the work that you're doing in, in these awesome places is just reflective of the heart of God, and it matters so much to His kingdom. And so uh, as we jump into these conversations this week, I hope that uh, if you are a deacon or a pastor or bivocational or a Sunday school teacher, we hope that you feel valued. We hope that you're encouraged. And uh, most importantly, we hope that you are challenged uh, to continue growing and doing uh, such a valuable work in a small place. I am your host, Joe Epley. This week, we have the uh, privilege to interview uh, Pastor Becky Barbie, and her and her husband have been on quite a journey, and I'm excited to dive into the conversation today because it involves a lot of conversation about marriage and what marriage looks like uh, as it relates to how we do rural ministry, what marriage looks like for you as a rural pastor, and I'm just so excited to glean the wisdom um, that they bring to the table in terms of their their life, their marriage, their ministry, and so I'm super pumped to uh, dive into that today. I hope you stick with us throughout the podcast. Uh, but the first thing I want to do is say, Pastor Becky, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Absolutely. And we are excited. As far as uh, you know, how we start these podcasts, it's always uh, my pleasure and my privilege just to kind of help people understand you know, who, who are our guests and where do they come from and what have they done. So would you take a second and just maybe describe for us your background in ministry and your connection to the rural church? Sure. Uh, my husband, Travis, and I pastor at Winona Assembly of God in Winona, Oklahoma, population 360. Um, We're both ordained ministers. And in the last 23 years, we've worked in every department and job from washing the windows to now senior pastors. um, And rural is in our roots. We grew up, live and pastor within 20 miles of where we were born and raised. Oh, wow. That's about as I mean, 360. I've I've heard a few smaller, but not many. And so that's really cool. And honestly, uh, what a journey. You know, I know that when we talked, you know, you you gave me that that timeline of just what it meant to volunteer, to do all these jobs, to do youth, to do kids, and then now lead pastoring in the same church, right? I mean, you've been at the same church how long? You said twenty three years. Yes, yes. Wow, same church. wow, and that's huge. And what a what a testament to longevity and what God can do there. Um, so today, again, as we dive into this conversation about marriage and how to help couples, I, I kind of want to maybe set the stage a little bit. I just want to hear a little bit about your background for you and your husband. What did marriage look like, you know, growing up for both you and your family and even some of your own experience, you know, kind of at the beginning of your marriage? So while Travis' parents were happily married and took him to church every Sunday, uh, my parents got divorced when I was very young. They were addicted to drugs and alcohol. So poverty and dysfunction defined pretty much my early growing up years. Um, So when we tried to blend the two, it was really hard. It was culture shock for both of us um, because my people were fighters. We were yellers. Sure. Um, and Travis family did all their disagreeing behind closed doors. So neither of us had healthy conflict resolution. Yeah. And honestly, to to watch that play out had to be tough, you know, because again, marriage is already hard enough when you come at it from these kind of what we would call maybe healthy roots or healthy places. But to have to simultaneously overcome the sense of upbringing to craft something brand new. I mean, I'm sure that had to be pretty difficult for you guys. 
Yes, it was. It was a struggle, especially in the first few years. Yeah. And I know that as we talked, you know, we, we talked through kind of, uh, yeah, the struggle that was there at the beginning of your marriage and just trying to, yeah, carve that new legacy, but dealing with, of course, the the past and, and who it creates you to be and all these things. Um, but but I know that the topic at hand today is is how you guys have grown as a couple to now helping other couples. And so maybe when did you first begin to realize that some of the things you went through growing up and the rough parts of your marriage, like when did you first become aware that maybe this was going to be used to help others? Well, we started out very young. I was 18. Travis was 20 when we got married um, and we were not serving the Lord. So like I said, it was really difficult. And we had made a commitment to one another when we got married that divorce would not be an option. Hmm. And it's strange because we weren't serving the Lord, but we had made that declaration because my entire family was divorced. And strangely enough, Travis's parents got divorced once we were grown and married. So divorce affected us deeply. Um, And because we made that commitment that we knew our only option was to fight We had to fight for our marriage. And God was central to that. We got into church, the church where we are now, we began serving, we began growing, growing in the Lord and growing together. And the first time I realized God wanted to use those things was the first time I looked at a couple and said, if he can do it for us, he can do it for you. Mm. And we've said that to so many people throughout the years. And you've just been able to share so much of your story because truly, I believe if God can do it for me, there is not a couple out there that God can't do it for because we we were literally ready to give up. Yeah, and honestly, what an encouragement. I have always loved because usually um, usually that's how it goes, right? We, we come from these places of extreme pain and and these extreme pressure and the extreme just just how it affects our own lives. And I love watching anybody turn that corner, whether their struggle was addiction or whether their struggle was, uh, you know, just a certain sin or a certain background or a certain legacy in their family. And when you begin to turn that corner and say, well, if it can work in my life, it could work in yours. Um, that's huge. And that's hugely encouraging. And obviously, as we're going to learn here in a second, um, it really turned into something great. And so um, would you maybe take a moment? I know that 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 one of the things that I found really cool about your story is that you guys had started um, as you've pastored this church, kind of this awesome thing for couples. And so would you maybe describe the program that you do each February and what you feel makes it effective and give us like that overview, like, like, when did this start? How many couples has it affected? You know, what's it done for your community and your church? Um, and kind of what you feel really is, is what makes it so effective. So maybe just clue us into that. Absolutely. Um, Each February, we host an event and we call it date night and we have it in our home for married couples. We have two different options, married couples with kids in the home and then married couples with no kids or with kids who are grown. We provide a nice dinner, some fellowship. We provide a book that we study through. Uh, The only thing we don't provide is child care because we want it to really feel like date night. We don't sure. want you to show up with your kids and then ride home with your kids. So we've take we've had that opportunity to get together in those groups and we've had approximately 40 participate, you know, each February. And wow. it's really great to see the the community dynamic that's built. And the things that make it successful are that it's not at church. So you don't feel that pressure of, you know, being perfect or whatever. And then it also, it's not on a church night. And so the couples have to decide that our marriage is worth the investment in our time. It's worth the investment in our resources. And that's the hurdle that once people can get over that hurdle, 
that my marriage is worth time and investment. Mm. The rest is just a piece of cake. It's just getting them to say, I can set aside this extra day or evening to invest in this most important relationship. <clears throat> There's several pieces that uh, that I really love there. I love that you mentioned like, hey, we're going to we're going to do this with intentionality. We're going to craft this so that there can be honest uh, you know, communication and feedback and, uh, and what a testament, even in a small context to have, you know, 40 each February. I mean, that's, that's real numbers. And and obviously that's not the only thing that matters, but it's huge to say, maybe just to speak to the value that it brings, uh, to your church, to your community and to the lives of those couples. So I have a question. So obviously in this, you know, program, you guys have been able to find this sense of success and find this sense of like helping couples, you know, on a regular basis. And I would hope any pastor tuning in would maybe, think to themselves, hey, how could I, you know, continue to invest in couples that way? Um, but I I kind of want to, um, you know, pick your brain because anyone who's had experience in this area, you know, there's always there's always just something where you, where you might see it a little clearer because you've walked, you know, with couples through this. So what piece of advice or what principle do you kind of find that most commonly helps couples who are struggling? I would say the number one thing we tell couples and this is kids in the home, kids outside of the home, mm-hmm. no kids. It doesn't matter. The number one thing we tell couples who are struggling is to make time and resources available for a date night each week. Mm. And not just in February, but every week. And the reason that this is our critical first step is because communication is so important. And so often when we're dealing with couples who are struggling, communication breakdown has been what led to the struggle. Mm. If we can go all the way back and unpack everything, it all goes back to a communication struggle. When I set aside time every week and I set aside resources every week to invest in my marriage, then I'm saying I'm willing to communicate with you. Some of those date nights happen in the middle of a fight. Some of those date nights happen in the middle of our busiest seasons, in the middle of ups and downs in ministry. The we're still getting face to face. Our proximity is still coming together alone Mm. without any distraction. And we're saying we're going to communicate and proximity matters. It's getting together, riding somewhere together, you know, going to dinner, or it doesn't even have to be an expensive thing. It's just, I've made time. I've set aside time and resources to invest in, in communicating in my marriage. Hmm. And just to ask you a follow-up question, you know, um, do you ever find couples give you pushback on like their ability to do this? Because just looking at it, I would go, oh man, a date night every week, that sounds sometimes daunting, or I'd have a lot of ready-made excuses. So so what do you say to the pushback? Yes, we do have pushback. And it it really isn't even just for people who have young kids, you know, you've got young kids at home, but people say, well, I can't afford it, but can you afford not to? Can you afford not to invest in this relationship? Many times they'll say, well, I don't have a babysitter. That's okay. Little kids take naps. It does not have to be a Friday night. This is what we do. You will have to get creative. But the thing that I've recognized is we will make time for the things that we think are important. Mm. The things that we want to do and that we want to invest in, we make time to do those things. And our marriages typically get the bottom end of that. They get the sure. leftovers from yeah. from everything else. Yeah. And honestly, uh, what what great conversation. I really love that line of, yeah, can you afford not to, you know? And I, I and I also like your your admonition to creativity. I know that uh, for me and my wife having kids that are two and four, 
uh, there's just so much yeah, demand and so much scheduling. And, and I heard it, I heard in some ways it gets worse and better and, you know, it's just ups and downs of every season, yeah. but, but I love what you said there. It's like, man, can we afford not to communicate well and not to make space for one another uh, for the long-term success, you know, of our marriage. So I think that's a, a good piece of encouragement. Uh, I did, you know, one aspect of your program that, uh, that you mentioned each February that I find really intriguing um, is you mentioned that that you know obviously the needs of couples who have kids who are in the home versus maybe couples without kids or kids who aren't in the home are different and so you know and and obviously like once you say that out loud I'm like well duh that sounds right but being that being that I'm on kind of one spot on that spectrum maybe take a second and tell us like what is something that you share with each of those groups that specifically you think ministers to them. Um, yes, marriage is different when kids are in the home versus no kids. And we're in this unique stage where we have some who have left and some who are still around. So we have a couple of kids in college and then, you know, we have a couple of kids still at home. So we've seen that kids do leave and they, you know, they tell you that when you have children, your children will leave, your marriage is forever. So Gary Chapman wrote that great resource, The Five Love Languages, and he maintains that our love languages don't change. But hmm. mine was gifts before kids and after kids, it's acts of service. So yes, marriages go through seasons. But what we say to people who are married with kids in the home is keep your priorities in order. Hmm. It's God, spouse, kids. Hmm. And it sounds harsh when you have that new baby or you have super needy toddlers, but scripture reminds us to seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added. So we have to keep our priorities straight. God first, then spouse. We can't elevate our kids above our spouse because the best, most loving thing we can do for our kids is to be happily married. That's the most loving thing that we can do is stay together and have a strong marriage to be an example to them. So married with no kids or grown kids, sure. we suggest be a student of your spouse. Hmm. The people we minister to, some of them have been married for 50 years. So that teaches me a thing or two when they sign up for that date night every every February, that they're making their spouse a priority and they never stop learning and growing together. Most things that you do every day for 50 years makes you a pro, but it's not that way with marriage. People change and grow. Seasons change. Our situations change. I would encourage never stop learning and growing together. Hmm. And so you'd almost make the case, you know, I know that that this has been joked about and sitcoms and different things and stereotyped, but uh, but you really do, you know, if if you're if we're being honest, you probably really do wake up 50 years down the road next to a different person, you know, in a yes. sense like that's because everyone's always becoming different if I hear you right. And so, you know, obviously, yeah, like you said, that's got to have a pretty big impact on, on you know, well, you always operated this way. It's like, well, who says that those rules always apply at all times, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, well, um, you know, I do want to kind of hit on it here because because obviously we've talked about good marriage principles in general. And I hope that, again, our, our pastors and listeners, um, you know, would tune into that. But I do want to maybe take a second at the end of this here and spotlight, um, because, again, this is a this is a podcast for rural leaders, for those who are in the thick of doing ministry, whether they're volunteers or bivocational or whatever. And you and your husband have been in ministry for 23 years together. And from what I assume and what you've told me, happily married. And so um, how can pastoral couples, you know, keep their marriage strong? Because, again, that's the nugget of wisdom that really, 
you know, if I was tuning into this podcast, I would latch on really quick. And actually, I mean, to be honest, as the host, I'm pretty excited to latch on to. So, so how would you suggest, you know, how do pastoral couples kind of keep their marriage strong throughout the, the tugs and pulls of ministry? This is a great question. And it's a challenging question. And when I really dug deep to find what was it, you know, what do I feel Hmm. is specific for pastoral ministry, for my marriage, for pastoral ministry. He called you into ministry together. He Hmm. called us into ministry together. So one or the other of us may never step foot on the stage, but make no mistake, we both very much carry the calling. So he didn't call us into ministry to end our marriage. He isn't a homewrecker. So if we're struggling in our marriage because of our ministry, then we're not doing something God's way. Hmm. And I can say that because I've been there. Sure. I've been in the place where our my priorities were out of whack and we were very much focused on the ministry to the detriment of our marriage. Hmm. But that's not the call of God. That's my desire to control things. That's my desire to do things my own way. And another thing that I want to say about this is we will never reach our full potential in ministry as a married person without the support of our spouse. Hmm. The support of our spouse and how our marriage functions will determine our success Hmm. in all ministry. Just like the best, most loving thing that we can do for our family is to be happily married. The best, most loving thing we can do for our church is to be happily married. You know, marriage is the example of Jesus and the church. So we should love one another the same way. And the people that we minister to are watching. You know, they're seeing how we are married. And we we even try to share this with our staff. We don't just have a, a worship pastor. We have a worship pastor couple. Oh, sure. He may never step foot on the stage, but he is very much also connected hmm. to that ministry. You know, we try to include the spouses in everything that we do because everything we do in ministry affects our spouse and everything that we do in ministry is encouraged and strengthened by our spouse. Wow. That's a, that's quite a viewpoint. I mean, what a holistic view on what it would mean to be, uh, to, yeah, to understand calling, to understand how life partnership works. I mean, uh, again, even even as I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh man, that's challenging, that's encouraging. All at the same time, I was I was thinking as you were talking, I was like, man, how could I how could I like be better? You know what I'm saying? Like I just like, <laughs> like anybody, you know, you go, man, how could I already do better at these kind of things? Uh, so one thing I want to do, Pastor Becky, is as we kind of wrap this up, is uh, I would love, you know, for for a pastor who maybe dialed in on that program that you guys do each February, because again, we're all looking for good ways to to strengthen marriages in our church. So if someone ever wanted to reach out to you, you know, would it be okay with you if we put your contact info in the show notes? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. And and honestly, thank you so much for being willing uh, to be a resource in that way, because for me, uh, I'm inspired and I'm challenged at the idea that when we really prioritize couples, uh, it's like you said, ministry is flourishing because people are flourishing and families are flourishing, you know, flourishing because marriages are flourishing. And so uh, last thing I kind of want to say uh, before we sign off here is just thank you so much, Pastor Becky, for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. We love rural churches. We love rural pastors. I hope this helps someone. It was really an honor to be here today. Awesome. Well, it was an honor to have you. 
Uh, so from those of us at Real Advancement, uh, you can expect to find Pastor Becky's email in the show notes if you ever want to reach out. And if you ever want to reach out to the show for feedback or ideas or encouragement, you can also find my email in the show notes as well. Um, but again, uh, it is our goal every single week to bring you content that that is not just spoken to the rural context, but is spoken by people who get it. So we hope that you feel valued and challenged and encouraged all at the same time. And uh, for this week, I've been Joe Epley, your host. She has been Pastor Becky Barbie, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.